welcome to the Fat Tail Investment Podcast. I'm Callum Newman. Uh, with a very different sort of episode today, um, we're in the middle of a market drawdown at the moment on the certainly the Aussie stock market and pretty much around the world. There have been some big falls. As I'm writing this, the market is finally starting to show a bit of green, but previous to that, it went down for seven, I think it was seven trading days in a row. One of the problems with the market at the moment is the uncertain outlook for inflation and interest rates. And this was flagged in a way by a thing called the Move Index, which uh, I read about last year and started following. And it's a measure of volatility in the bond market. Now, as a stock investor, you might have heard about the VIX, which measures uh, one measure of volatility in the stock market. However, if you stick around financial markets, you come to realize that the bond market is much bigger than the stock markets around the world. And it is said that the, the guys in the bond market are much smarter than the equity guys. So that's, that's what some people say. Uh, so I decided to get on the man who created the Move Index, um, who is still with us. His name is Harley Bassman. And he's uh, been around for over 30 years on Wall Street and is known as the convexity maven. Um, a very intelligent man. And we got him on to discuss what he's seeing in the bond market, um, what the move index can tell us, and his outlook for asset markets around the world. And we had a good old chat about markets. He's a lovely character. He's based in the US, but he's he has been out to Australia. Um, and uh, if you're interested in the direction of the stock market from here, you need to be following the outlook for interest rates, bonds, and inflation. So it all feeds in into the mix. Uh, so Harley came on to help us dig out what's going on around the world. So here he is. About a year ago now, I happened to be perusing The Economist, which I do on a regular basis, and they started talking about something called the Move Index. And I was like, what's that? I've never, ever heard of such a thing. And I read the article and I put it aside and I stuck it on my wall thinking like, hmm, well, I don't know much about it, but I should learn more about it. Anyway, I kind of just left it there on my wall. And lo and behold, world events have made the outlook for interest rates, uh, I mean, they're always important, but very acute right now. And I went, oh, I just remember that move index, da, 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 da. So I went and looked it up, and I saw that it had doubled uh, in terms of value. It was 50 when I looked at it in the magazine. Now it's around 100. And I went and reread the article. Lo and behold, it said the creator of that index is Harley Bassman, and he's on the line with us uh, today. So, Harley, thanks for coming on. Can you tell us what is the move index and why did you create it? Okay. Uh, well, thank you for having me on. Uh, one of us, I think, is supposed to be asleep right now with 17 time zones between us. Um, <laughs> the, um, the move's a very clever idea. It's basically the VIX for bonds. And um, it's not structured the same way. Um, I'll get geeky for you. The VIX is not the at-the-money option. It's the string of all the options. You add it up and discount it back. So in general, because you have skew, the VIX will be two, three points above an at-the-money option. The move is just the at-the-money vol for the two-year, five-year, the 10-year, and the 30-year. 
always one month, and I wait at 2020, 2020. Um, we actually have data for the move that goes earlier than the VIX, because we were keeping data on, on these over-the-counter options uh, back then. And um, the, um, the range, you know, for many, many years, the range on the VIX, and I guess you could probably show, uh, slide two has that has a long chart. Um, uh, the range is basically 80 to 120 forever. And then after the Fed came in and kind of crushed everything, um, or the GFC, uh, it really kind of went much lower into the 60s and 70s. You had the move in the, in the low 50s uh, when the Fed pinned the front end down. But as soon as they said, we're thinking of like, you know, maybe we're going to hike rates, then the move really kind of moved. It got as high as like 140, 145, which is an astronomical number. So the move is a real number. If you just divide it by 16, more or less, that tells you basis points per day. So a move of 140 was basically saying that interest rates are going to move eight, nine basis points a day every day for a month. By the way, the VIX is the same thing. A VIX of 30 divided by 16 kind of sort of gives you a one and a half, two percent move a day, which is why the VIX does not stay at 30 very often. Just to clarify, the, the VIX is colloquially known as the fear index, right? Of um, so, it, is that do you go along with that? That it measures uh, fear, or is it? How do you view the? Do you want to explain the VIX before? Because not everybody's going to know what the VIX is. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who um, have to go and 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 write a column every day or once a week, and or they're on TV or the radio, and they have to go and get attention. This show, I guess, would qualify as such. Um, VIX is a nice name because there's an X and a V, which are very exciting numbers, uh, your letters. Um, but the fear index is even better as a marketing tool. Um, I'm not sure I'd call it a fear index, although it tends to be very high when everyone's terrified. So I guess it kind of works, but it's a forward-looking indicator. But more important though, I'll tell you this. If you look at short dated options, called one-month options, on anything that's liquid, it trades very actively. So stocks bonds, commodities, currencies, you will see the one-month option, the implied volatility of that one-month option will be more or less 8 to 12% above the realized vol that's occurring. And if you put a chart, implied, if I realized it, kind of basically bounces around between 108 and 112. This is why you have so many hedge funds or I'm going to call them arbitrageurs, but you know, clever risk managers who will go and sell one-month options every day, rain or shine, life or death, and then every day at two o'clock or four o'clock rebalance and try to capture that eight to twelve percent uh, risk premium. So uh, that's pretty common. And um, uh, the thing is, you got to size it right. And uh, often people get too greedy and don't size it right. It really is an insurance product when you think about it. Like if you're a big insurance company, if you're you know hedging, uh, it's like fire insurance. Yeah, once in a while you get a big forest fire, it takes up the whole town. But in general, you know, over the course of time, you're going to win with a few intermittent you know hiccups. Same thing for 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 guys who sell a short dated ball. So if we bring it back to the move index, when it's rising, is that the outlook for interest rates becoming more uncertain, or is it simply a function of volatility where something's causing the market to gyrate. You will see short dated options rise both seasonally and I guess I call it cyclically. So you'll see one month options peak 
usually on the Wednesday, the first Wednesday or Thursday of the month, because that's right before the payroll date, which is the biggest you know event of the month. Um, it'll pick up before Humphrey Hawkins as people anticipate market movements. Um, but generally, when you see the move really moving a lot, like going up big, it's because the market's already moving. Like you can get the you get the move, you know, 20, 30 percent over realized vol in anticipation of an activity. But at the end of the day, to get the move to 140, we were moving eight, nine, 10 bips a day for, for, for quite a while. So how do you relate this to what you're doing in the markets? What do you how do you use it? Is it just a, is it an indicator of something that you then apply to the trades that you're doing, or is it just a way to monitor what's happening in the market? What, how do you use it? Um, the VIX is kind of interesting in a few ways. Or just, not the VIX, the, the move. Ball in general, if you look at slide um, seven, yeah, this is, this is one of my best charts. And what this is, is it's um, implied volatility for interest rates relative to the shape of the yield curve. The shape of the yield curve is taking the two-year rate versus the 10-year rate, the three-month versus the 10-year, the five-year versus the 30, whatever it might want to be. Usually, yep. two's tens is our most favorite when we use. And you see that this, that implied vol, and I use one-year options here to get rid, of, get rid of the noise, it goes in line with the curve. Um, and the reason why is the steeper the curve, i.e. The, the bigger the difference between a short interest rate and a longer interest rate, means the greater uncertainty that you have of what's going to happen. Because at the end of the day, you know, uh, short-term rates have to go to long-term rates over the course of time. Um, history goes only one direction forward. You can't go backwards. Um, what's anomalous right now is that you've had balls go up and the curve flatten. This is very strange. Um, I was just going to say, it doesn't look like that at the end of the chart. <laughs> it doesn't. And um, and this, this, I think we'll probably touch on this a little later in the, in the discussion about the yield curve in general is kind of predicting a recession, but not quite. We'll hit that in a minute. Uh, but what else is interesting, though, is that you have three main risks that you deal with. Duration, credit, convexity. Duration is when you get your money back. You get it back in one month, three months, 30 years. Usually a steep curve because there's more uncertainty as you go further out. Credit is if you get it back, right? It's a corporate bond, will it default or not? I don't know. Convexity is a tricky one. It is how you get your money back. There's a path dependency to convexity. It matters how you get to where you're gonna go. So if you buy the cash tenure at 100, goes to 110 and then 95 and then back to 105, you make five points, end of the year, you're done. If you have credit spreads and they're trading 110 over, then 90 over, and they end up at you know 100 over, you make your, make your spread. It doesn't matter how it gets there. Options are different. It matters the path you take. And that's where they get very tricky. Um, these are three risk vectors. In theory, a computer would say, which of these three offers me the best risk return profile? And the money would go there. And so let's just say that people go into duration, they buy long-term securities, the curve flattens, there's no longer an advantage to being in longer securities. Money might then go to credit risk or to convexity risk. People would sell vol, sell options, or they might you know, buy junk bonds. All three of these from 30,000 feet move in sync. So if you look at slide eight, uh, that's the, um, the move versus the VIX. 
So equity volatility risk. Yep. More important, look at look at number nine. That's basically interest rates of uh, uh, vol versus junk bonds. And they kind of go in line also. Should you trade these things versus one versus the other as an arbitrage? No, do not. Do not do this. Do not trade the move versus the VIX. Another bad idea. They will follow each other, but there's lead lags that are enough where it's not an arbitrage. Um, they just follow each other in the grand sense of, the, of hey, boss, the horses went that away kind of thing. I'm just looking at um, slide eight here, and it looks like, hang on, let's make sure I get this. The VIX is going down and the, the move is going up. Again, is that this a function of the... Uh, number eight. Uh, yes, uh, that's a, that's a that's a good point, and that's been very. Um, uh, it was commented on a lot when the um, move was clipping at one forty and the VIX was twenty eight. Um, how I would tell you is this: when the move got into the one twenties, one thirties, you were seeing rates move eight basis points a day, and it was just kind of crazy and the Fed talk and everything else. Stocks were not moving that much. Stocks have gone down 20%. That's an official bear market, okay? Mm -hmm. It didn't do it that fast. You basically went, you know, half a percent, 1% every day, tick, tick, tick on down. There was no vol on the way down. The realized volatility has been like 24, 23, 25 on, on, on equities. It's been a slow grind down. And that's why the VIX never got that much above 35 because we just didn't move that much. Whereas bonds have been extraordinarily volatile relative. As once again, as I said, for liquid instruments, you will see three month, one month vol trade eight to 12% over realized. And that is the most important driver of all these short day options. We actually had a bond guy on uh, yesterday, US guy. Um, and I asked him the same question. There's a, I've always read that the bond market is kind of like the smart guys, and it's usually more right than the equity market. Do you go along with that uh, 100%. idea? Sorry? 100%. 100%. <laughs> equity guys are dolts. Well, they're not dolts, but look, bond guys, we have numbers, we're nerds, we're geeks, we do calculations. We, but there is kind of an answer to bonds. Equities are a story. Like, does anyone really know what Tesla's worth? Like, really? No, you don't. I mean... So I'm mean, that, 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 that's the issue. Yeah. So um, <laughs> where, 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 whereas I just wrote a whole commentary about the value of mortgage-backed securities, and I, I think I'm right. You know, and I mean, I can't tell you where they're going to be exactly, but I can kind of give you in broad strokes that they are the right now they're the wrong price. Um, Tesla what, was discounted or overvalued. Price. Excuse me. Are they discounted or overvalued? They're cheap. They're cheap. In America, yeah, very cheap. Oh yeah, they're they're probably two or three points cheap. Um, so maybe fifty basis points of yield cheap. Oh, okay, and is that a function of like people afraid of the housing market going, or just the gyrations in bonds in general? Well, you're not uh, sure. Look, it just is. Uh, slide twenty uh, is is the best chart of this. So slide twenty it measures the yield of a par mortgage security, a mortgage bond trading at 100, or the interpolation of what that would be. And we compare that versus the 10-year yield. And that usually is about 72, 71, 75, somewhere in there, going back forever. Uh, there's reasons why 
go to my website, connectsthemaven.com, look up my latest, you can read it there. Uh, right now it's at like 115, just the wrong number. Well, it's not the wrong number, it's the right number when the Fed is gonna do QT and stop buying them. Well, um, you, you just mentioned QT there. So that's like what everybody wants to talk about at the moment. Um, they said it was coming, it's now arriving. I mean, what's your view on this? Is it priced in now or is it can still, um, you know, cause ructions in the market? Is, a pro is it a problem? Is it a bad thing, a good thing? As a public policy measure, it's a great thing. I think the Fed, what the Fed's done in the last five years has been atrocious for the market. Um, they, they, they've done so many, I don't want to say bad things. They've been reacting to, to various stuff, but the results are not good. What they've created is moral hazard. And they've created a situation where people are overly risked because they think the Fed is a Fed put that's going to come to save them. But more importantly, by pinning rates at zero and doing QE, buying treasuries to suppress rates and suppress volatility, they've removed the feedback mechanism of prices to people to figure what's going on. Uh, the curve right now is extraordinarily flat. And we really can't figure out why this is. And um, this might be the most important chart we have over here, if I can find it. Yeah, number four. This is the grand anomaly. If you look at the spread between the current three-month treasury and the 10-year treasury, you get a very steep number. If you look at the forward spread, I one year forward using you know, bond math calculations, we've actually inverted. Which one's right? Well, the rules are the cash market's right, so therefore there's no recession coming. But, you know, we've flipped in forward space. The curve, usually the yield curve inverts, so you get long-term rates below short-term rates yep. at the second-to-last Fed hike. That's the, the history of it. Um, and we don't know when the second-to-last hike's going to be. The market kind of inverts, and that's the signal to the Fed that, bad things are happening to the market. Um, that's when they've broken the toy, so to speak. Um, usually you get a recession right about that time. So you know, break the toy idea. Um, and then the curve inverts and, and, and they get the recession 12, 14 months later. Um, you can see looking at this chart that usually spot and forward kind of go in line. We, I don't see a place here where we've had one going up, one going down. Why is that? Um, it could be because, you know, QE, you know, the thumb, the Fed put their thumb on the scale. It could be that we're so much more levered as an economy that raising rates even a little bit will dampen what's going on. Um, it could be that the back end rates going up, uh, the mortgage rates going up as much as they have, has basically, you know, it's dead stop the housing market. I'm just telling you right now, the housing market is going to dead stop right here. You'll have some, you'll have stuff going on still, but in general, the numbers are going to totally collapse um, because. With rates at this level, housing pricing should be 15 to 20% lower to keep affordability the same. Remember, nobody buys a house. Well, rich guys buy a house. Okay, the Russians, they go buy a house uh, with, with cash in London. But civilians sign up for a 30-year payment plan. I can afford $2,000 a month. I can then look at the interest rate, and I can back into how much I can buy for a house. And that's it. Their, their wages don't move by, they're not going to double. They're not Wall Street wages where, where you get those giant bonuses. It's going to be your ordinary 
civilian workers and maybe they get a 2%, 5% raise. It's not big enough to make a difference. And therefore, if rates go up from three and a half or three and a quarter to five and a quarter, that basically drops down how much you could buy by 15, 20%. Um, will housing drop by that much? No. Uh, first, you're going to see volume uh, collapse. Um, if it stays here, and we'll see what happens. Um, it's, this will not be a replay of 08, 09. That's not going to happen because you've, you're, you're not going to have defaults in the system. Okay. We, 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 we we're much more careful, but it will slow down the market. And housing is a huge component of the economy. Because when you buy a house, mm. well, you got to go and buy, you have to get the carpeting, the dishwasher, the beds, the furniture, the baby goes in there usually, and everything else. I mean, all this goes on with the demographic of buying a new home. Um, that's what's going to slow things down. And you're already seeing lumber and copper come down by a lot uh, in anticipation of the slowdown of the housing market. I'm just curious. You mentioned that U.S. stocks are down 20%. If you go back to, I can't remember when the U.S. market peaked, but I presume it was sometime last year. Was, was there something happening in the fixed income market that uh, you said the, the, the stocks are likely to go down? I mean, were you out of the stock market as such? or So... You- What's the expression? A stock market or a market of stocks? I'm not, I'm not sure which one's which. Um, it always sounds intelligent when you say it. What was leading the stock market? If you look at the top five, seven, 12 stocks, the FANG stocks, uh, I don't have that chart anymore. It's in one of my commentaries. Um, it's, it's done by, by, by your friend down there, Gerard Minnick. He, he's fabulous uh, uh, down in Australia. He does a, a commentary. You should get him on, on, your, on, your, on the show. He's terrific. Love to. The best guys out there. Um, he had a chart that I uh, stole, borrowed, uh, that showed the S&P less the top seven stocks, the, the FANG stocks. It's unchanged for like years. I mean, this whole rally we had in the last two years has all been from, you know, half a dozen stocks. These stocks, like an Amazon or, 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 or a Tesla, what's happening there is they are effectively like a 70-year treasury. Let's look at Amazon. We know they're going to make a trillion dollars in 30 years. Okay, let's just, let's just say it. That's it. They're going to make a trillion dollars. Um, what we don't know is, a trillion dollars 30 years from now is worth what today? I need a discount factor to take it back. When you had rates you know, bottoming out a year and a half ago, that's why these stocks explode higher because one, the valuation changes, but two, you could just say, you know, if, 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 if 10 years are, are, are yielding, you know, one and a quarter, one and a half percent, why not go and buy equities where the S&P has a dividend yield of two? I mean, so... T- in essence, you know, you have the substitution effect of, of risk. Um, you've seen all this be given back. ARC was it, was it 40, went to 160, it's back to 50 now. ARC's something with a bunch of long dated treasuries. It's like 70 years zeros, and they follow the, the, the bond market. So, I mean, like we, we haven't invented tragedy here. It's all the same stuff. It's never different this time. It's just a different vehicle. But these long dated FANG stocks are basically treasuries, long dated treasuries. Again, I asked the same question yesterday to our gent. There's a notion that because inflation is rising in America and it, it may not go down, that money will migrate it, migrate out of the bond market and will go looking for other uh, assets to live in, whether it's stocks or property or gold or whatever. Are you of the view that the this bull market in bonds that's gone on and on and on and on and on forever 
is over or you can't tell now or you, you don't agree with it? Did I hear it correctly that he says because rates are going higher, people will sell bonds? <laughs> well, no, the idea was inflation is devaluing uh, the, the bonds. Okay, so um, on, on a short term, and we may already, it may already have occurred, by the way, on a short term basis, the initial surge of inflation will take stocks higher because, by definition, inflation is higher prices, and therefore, higher prices means more profits. So, you're, I mean, so ipso facto, EPS goes up. PE is the inverse of, of the uh, of the equity return, and if rates don't move in the beginning when you have the inflation, then basically you're taking earnings up, but the discounting, the, the rate you use to discount the earnings back, doesn't change. Um, and so initially, inflation is bullish for stocks. Once you have enough inflation where rates start to rise to to meet that, and that level's about four percent. Um, and I have a, a very long write-up on this, and some of our charts in here talk about this. Um, let's see, where is that going to be? Uh, number nine, number 19, uh, 18 and 19. This shows the correlation of stocks to bonds. And this is the great fear we all have, is if rates go back above four, you're going to see stocks and bonds both go down, because that's where the discounting effect starts to be more meaningful. Is that going to happen? I don't know. Because we're seeing the interest rates kind of invert at 275, 3%. So uh, the, the bond market's saying 4% ain't happening in the back end. It might happen in the front end, but the bond market's saying ain't, ain't getting there. Uh, I'm not sure they're right or wrong. Um, and that'd be a catastrophe. So initially, you're going to see um, stocks, they should do well. They already did well. Now they're coming back off in fear of these much higher rates. Um, it's unclear. Uh, you get rates high enough. I mean, if we get a 4% rate, what you would see is people go from stocks to bonds. And the people who would do it are going to be insurance and pension. Those are the guys who really have the long liability risk. And for many, many years, they've been grossly underfunded. With the stock market having rallied and bonds having rallied also over the last, you know, notwithstanding the last six months, um, I believe that most defined benefit pensions, uh, corporate pensions, are actually uh, overfunded now. Now, the U.S., the states are not. I mean, Illinois is still a disaster. But, I mean, what, what you've seen is um, these guys get closer to, 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 to you know, par on, on stuff. And um, I, I think a lot of money has gone into bonds from equities in the last uh, six months uh, from pensions and insurance companies locking up the risk. Remember, an insurance company is just making a bet about when they got to go pay off when you die in 30 years. It's, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, and, and, and um, you know, liability insurance, you know, all you got to do is figure out when the person might get sick or when the person's going to trip, when the car's going to crash. It's, it's pretty easy to do it. That's what an actuary does. The hard part is how much money can I earn over the 30 years till, till the event happens? With rates going higher, that makes that really is very beneficial for, for pensions and for uh, insurance companies. So they're very happy. So, as someone who deals in derivatives and, and bonds and that, do you follow closely what commodities do, like gold and oil, as they, well, at any time, but especially when they're sort of pushing up and I'm thinking of oil here more than anything, natural gas and, and feeding that kind of inflationary dynamic. Is that something you follow? Oil, I watch a lot. Everything else, eh, not so much. Gold, look, I, I, 
I get the story. I own gold personally. I'm not a gold bug. Gold is an alternate currency. No more, no less. It's like owning yen or euros in paper form. That's what gold is, um, which is okay. Um, but I mean, the story about gold, I mean, for God's sakes, we have massive inflation and we have World War III happening right in front of our eyes and gold hasn't budged. I mean, really? Okay. So that, that is, that gold's a law, is a 20-year trade. Um, other stuff is, is impacted by so much in terms of uh, you know, the economy in the U.S., global economy, supply, demand. It, it's, it's, it's very hard to go figure things out. And the lead lag for copper or lumber, I mean, who knows? So I watch them. They're interesting. Do I really trade off them? No, I don't. Too unpredictable. Oh, yeah. And, and, and it's unclear what the lead lag on it, what the predict, predictive value is. Um, in, in any case, if you know the number, it's hard to say what's going to happen. It's like if I gave you the payroll number, the unemployment number, on the Wednesday before the Friday payroll, you know how much money you'd make on that? Probably goose egg. I mean, you've no, I mean, I've seen bad numbers, the market goes up, a good market goes down. I mean, it all happens. You never know. Having the numbers is, is very unhelpful, uh, despite the fact you think you'd want this thing. It works for the first 35 seconds. After that, it's All right, so I'm just uh, trying to piece it all together again. What, what do you think? So we have this situation where everyone's, well, I say everyone, there's this idea that it's uh, inflation's a problem, that maybe the Fed's a bit behind. Stock market selling off. What just to do like a scenario thing? What can sort of settle everything down and, and get stocks moving up again? What has to happen? Do, do, do rates? Does a is it a yield curve thing or a bond thing or an earnings thing? I mean, it's a combination of everything all the time. But what if things are a bit rocky now? What what gets us back to smooth? Well, I mean, end of the day, we got to go and um, how how high will the Fed have to take rates or will they take rates? Uh, to go and deal with inflation? And when will the inflation break? Some people say that we're already in a recession and that inflation's already peaked and going to come down. They can be right. Others have said that we have owner's equivalent rent, we have oil, and a bunch of things that are feeding into the economy and that the uh, demand side um, and the supply side are not going to budge all that much in the near term. So we could have inflation for quite a while, the Fed will have to do action. I think the most important thing actually is what I don't have an answer to, which is, let's just say we have high, let's just say it comes in at five, okay? It's, it's coming down, but it's not going to two anytime soon. Close to five. Um, are rates going to go up to meet that level or not? I don't know. It is very possible we could have negative real rates for quite a while, where we have interest rates under inflation, and they never actually get there to meet them. Um, is that a bad thing? I don't think so. Um, negative real rates would do two things. Number one is you have high inflation or higher inflation, which, which, which basically burns off debt, right? GDP goes up nominally, but the debt stays the same. You collapse your debt to GDP ratio. So the over leverage we have will burn off via yep. inflation, and negative real, so rates, real rates, bar, borrowing rates are under inflation, means you have a negative real rate, which is good for business because it means companies can borrow money at, at effectively a negative number. And so they should have animal spirits to go and make them want to go do stuff. 
Now I'm so, thinking like if we had a gold guy here right now, he'd be going, the Fed wants that to happen because there's too much debt in the US and and the whole the fiat currency thing is, you know, it's a disaster. Uh, is there a, is could that line of reasoning be correct that they they're actually happy to burn all that debt in that way? I think they are. Um, but the thing is, is um, I mean, they've said they want to get inflation down to two, and as a public policy measure, they're kind of supposed to. Here's here's the problem: if you take unemployment from three six where it is right now. And I think the word you have to get to like four or five, somewhere up there to go and actually kind of edges, you know, take, 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 take the, the, the heat off. Okay, let's say we go from three, six to four, six. So 1% of the population loses their jobs, which is bad and, 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 and you know, sadness. If you have inflation running at five, 6%, that impacts hundreds of people, it affects everybody. So fine, it does not affect the top 20% of the country, but the bottom 80, they, they got a problem. So if you think about it from that sense, inflation is a bigger problem than unemployment. Um, and so I think the Fed's going to go be more aggressive. And um, if I made a prediction, what I'd say is this. What we read, the Greek tragedies, we read Shakespeare. Why do we still read these ancient texts? I think you're a bit more sophisticated than I am. <laughs> Why do we read these? Why do they still exist? Because they describe the destroyer of mankind, hubris, ego. It's always hubris and ego that takes people down. And so I'm looking at Powell and I'm thinking, okay, would he rather be Arthur Burns, remembered as Arthur Burns, the guy who did not go and do anything in the 70s, right? Um, Nixon put a gun to his head, but I'm whatever. He did not stop inflation and there it went. Or would really Paul Volcker, who at the time no one liked, but now he's a hero. From an ego standpoint, who does Powell want to be 30 years from now? I can assure you it is not Arthur I'm Burns. <laughs> I can't get it wrong. He doesn't want to be Benzie. There's no Arthur Burns. He does not want to have a five, six handle on inflation for two years. He wants to be remembered as the guy who slayed inflation and got us back to a stable currency. Right. So, he wants to be the, when everybody looks back and goes, he was the man. He did it. He stood up to the market and tamed the beast. Yes. And I, and, and, and I, and I think you're seeing that because the, the moment he got confirmed, he went off on stage and said, which is a problem, man, we're going to fix it. So I, I think he was, he was kind of held in check for a year because they would not confirm him. They held him in this political limbo, uh, but he, but you know, release the Kraken man. There he is. I remember I read a book once from the 70s called Political Control of the Economy, and the idea was that if there was tough stuff to be done, it would happen in the first 18 months of a new government. Do you think um, that Biden and that crowd would, will go, well, look, we sort of just got in. If you have to do it, do it now before 2024 rolls around? I think he already, he already missed his chance on that. I mean, he, he went whole hog after a Build Back Better and – and, and everything else. And, and look, I don't like getting into politics because if I, if I do that, then I lose half my audience. Um, but <laughs> clearly, you know, nothing well, happened. Put it, put it like this. Do you think that the White House and the Fed are a little bit more connected than the supposed independence of the institution? I think that if Powell had been confirmed, 
boom, on day one, he would have hit, the, he would, he would have um, raised rates, you know, a year ago. And he would have slayed the beast, or at least got us on a path to knocking things down. And the window was there. Now we're looking at basically, you know, we have midterms coming up in three months, five months. Like, it's a real problem now. It's, 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 it's you know, he's trying to go and do it, but he's not going to be able to do it fast enough. And if he does, they don't have a recession in November. Oh, my God, it's as bad as it gets. Even inflation and a recession, you know, that, that's a we're talking Jimmy Carter type stuff now. So Biden is, is, is in a box. This, he, should have al- he should have allowed Powell to raise rates last year and do what you're saying. And they missed that chance. So I was just thinking in terms of your investments, is there any a time when you're not in the market and you go, this is too unpredictable. I don't know where it's going. I don't feel there's a good risk reward. Or are you always finding some niche that to exploit from the things moving around? And like, how do you go about it? I don't trade. Um, and by trading, I mean like, you know, buying and selling every day, every week. I have, I have a two to five year horizon. Um, and uh, I look for when there's opportunity, which maybe happens twice a year. I'll get involved in that, but I, I tend not, I'm, I'm not day trading. I'm, I'm not that smart. No, frankly, no one's that smart, really. Um, there are a few lucky guys, but you know, you can get 10 heads in a row. It's just not too often. Um, I think that, I think most people, everyone knows something I don't. And most people have a skill or understanding of something and they should go and invest or work in that realm. Um, and not, and and not go and play play you know play ball in someone else's casino, um, so uh, that's kind of where I am. I mean, right now is interesting. I mean, it's unclear how low we're going to push the stock market down, um, but uh, it's um, I mean, I think that interest rates and mortgage securities now. I'm 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 big into that. They're the wrong price. Um, this is not a a, a thing that would matter to you guys, but um, municipal bonds. Uh, in the U.S. have cheapened up a lot. We have a very high tax rate here. I'm not, maybe it's higher or lower than Australia. I'm not sure. But in California, the top bracket, you're clipping over 50%. Yeah. If you could buy, I mean, I did buy last month a 4%, actually 4.1% 20-year uh, California bond, AA rated. Uh, so if I'm getting 4% tax-free, that's 8% pre-tax. Uh, 8% sounds to me like an equity return. Isn't it? I mean, what's long-term S&P? Eight, nine? So, I mean, okay, an equity return uh, in, a, in, a, in a fixed income asset, that was pretty easy to do. So, um, yeah, that's kind of it. I, 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 I wait for my pitch. So the answer to you is, no, I'm not the market every day. Yeah. All right, well, we started with the move index and just finished with it. If, if it's elevated now, if it starts to come down, what is that telling us? I think the move right now is about 100, which is the long-term average, or was the long-term average, which is about five five basis points a day, six, which is what we're, we've been seeing more or less. So that's fine. That's fine. The move's going to go and come down the moment we know the Fed is done. That's that's what it is. Now, right now, the market's saying the Fed will be done in June of next year. Um, that's 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 the bottom of the year-dollar market. Um, and and um, maybe they're right. I mean, if the Fed goes a bunch of 50s, they can get the rate up to three, you know, before year end. And at that rate, you know, uh, that, that that's going to go and, you know, certainly slow things down. And so that might happen. Um, but the moment we get um, the, the end of the game now, if you, if you, if you have access to futures, um, 
there are some nice trades you could do on that June euro dollar. Uh, I might look at doing a um, like a call spread. Uh, so the market right now, I think, is 96.35. Maybe you go and buy the 97, 97 and a half call spread or something a little lower than that. Um, because if the Fed stops early, that contract is going to jump. I mean, right now it's pricing in like a three and a half percent, three thirty uh, funds rate next year. That's a that's a big number, man. That's a big number to to to, to get there. So uh, I mean, gun to my head, I'd rather buy than sell that contract. Notwithstanding the fact that I think we're going to have inflation coming still. All right, cool. So I know you put stuff out on your website, but it's infrequent, isn't it? So if I you want to keep up with what you're thinking, is that the best place to do it? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I publish every four to six weeks. I only publish, as I like to say, I've, everything I've ever written is there. Uh, if it's your first time, go to what's called the, the classroom, the Maven's classroom. And there I will have uh, everything I've written over the last 15 years that I think is timeless. That, that, that it, it, it's, it's a thought about the world that can teach you something. It's not, hey, do this trade. Um, those will be somewhere else. Um, and um, so, yeah, I, but, but I, I, if you want to get on, send me an email. I'll add you to my list. Um, I think I'm already on it. Could be. I went Could and checked be. it all out anyway. I'm sure, I'm sure I signed up. But yeah, because I, I did get your thing about mortgage. You just put the thing about mortgage uh, back securities out. Last, yeah, just put that out last week. Um, and, um, you know, I, I try to go and explain things in a reasonable manner. I will tell you, I, I'm not writing for babies. You have to have some financial skills to understand stuff. I will explain things, but, you know, it's, it's at a medium level. Um, it's not a PhD and it's not, you know, uh, you know, bonds for dummies. Um, but, but I, I try to make things reasonable so you understand them and, and follow a, 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 a train of thought as to yes. how we start and where we end. Um, I'd say most important about convexity, which I say the word convexity, everyone flips out. Let me explain convexity to you. Okay. If you have a bet, an outcome, a result, where given equal yes and no, coin flip, if I can make a dollar or lose a dollar, that's zero convexity. If I can make two, lose one, that's positive convexity. If I lose three, make two, that's negative convexity. So what all of us geeks do is try to figure out, given a bond or an investment that has a profile of whatever that, number, that ratio is, make five, lose three, blah, 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 what is that worth? And we'll use volatility, option models, other things to figure out what's worth. That, that's, that, that's kind of what we do. And that's our fair value. And you can do this for lots of things out there uh, where you have, a, you, have, you have the cash flow, you put a probability on it and a discount rate back. And that's everything. And um, uh, in, in mortgage space, you know, these are bonds you buy. There is zero credit risk, but you don't know if this bond, if your money invested will come back in a year or two, or in you know fifteen to twenty years, you just don't know. It's that so interesting you talk about mortgage bonds for me because it's not something I'm ever going to understand at your level. But out here, the property stocks are getting butchered, right? Because everyone's terrified of rising interest rates, and as you're talking about in America, of the market tanking. So these these non bank lenders, uh, 
have just been slaughtered. And I'm like, well, is there actually a funding problem for these guys? And um, I'm going to go back and look at, you know, the bonds that they've issued and all that sort of stuff and, and, uh, and see. Because then, like, with those guys, it's like, well, are their borrowers going to keep paying? Um, you know, uh, is funding going to become a problem? And da, 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 da. Anyway, so these kind of insights that you're talking about on the bond side do play into the equity market as well, right? Yeah, well, I mean, the stuff I'm talking about, no one understands outside of the US and Denmark because we're the only ones that have 30-year mortgages. Everyone else in the world does floaters. Yeah, I've always wondered about that. I don't really understand why that is, but... Um, wh- why we get it in the US? It's a, it's a public policy good. It's those because- two, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and all that stuff, isn't it? Yep. So the guys, they, they, they guarantee these bonds, and Ginny Mae also, so they convert basically personal loans, a loan to a person, into a, a government bond. Um, but the, having a 30-year mortgage means if you're a, an ordinary civilian, you say, I can afford $2,000 a month. That's all I can afford. I can buy this house, and I know I'm going to pay $2,000 a month for 30 years, and I own a house. If you have a, a just rate mortgage and rates go up and your income doesn't go up, like you're going bankrupt. Well, that's why everyone's so terrified out here. So I'm always wondering, like, why do we do it the variable weight way? Variable rate way, as it said. Oh, because the bank has no, because the owner of the bond has no risk. Rates go up, your coupon goes up. Yeah, he gets more money. What about the borrower? (laughs) That's exactly right. The borrower's screwed. The borrower, in your case, the borrower's taking all the risk. In the U.S., the lender is taking all the risk. The, the prepayment risk. I feel like the lender should take a bit of risk. Yeah. Anyway. Well, by the um, way, this is why we had the SNL, the savings and loan crisis in the US in the years like 89 to 92. I've read about it. Yeah. Because Volcker took rates up to 20%, but the banks had all these loans they'd made at, let's say, 8% or 10%. All of a sudden, they're taking in 8, 10%, and they're borrowing money overnight. At 20, well, they go bankrupt. But that's, they had a problem, yeah. No, I've yeah. read about that, and there was all sorts of corruption revealed from all that sort of stuff, and yes, and they all went bust. <laughs> there, there, were, there were a number of bad guys there, which, of course, is, is the great tragedy, is that there were plenty of bad guys in the last crisis and no one went to jail, which is a public policy disaster. I, I, would, say, I, I would hang a lot of what happened in the subsequent time, uh, the populism, so things like that. The, the bad guys did not go to jail. That, that was just wrong. And, and you could have put him in jail very easily. They're, they, 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 Al Capone, he's a gangster in the U.S., did not go to jail for murdering people, went to jail for tax evasion. Uh, we have the same rule, kind of, on Wall Street. It's called failure to supervise. It's your catch-all that can throw anybody in jail they want. So we could easily done that with, with all the. Hey, all the, I know Big uh, Al. I've been into both prisons he was in. Uh, one in uh, Pennsylvania and one in San Francisco on the uh, Alcatraz. Alcatraz. Yeah. yeah, old Al. We're, we're, all right, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I'm really grateful for your time. 